Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Welcome back to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle standing in for our host, Kathy Sheridan. Before we get started today, a reminder that the Women's Podcast is partnering with the Body and Soul Festival. That's the weekend of June 22nd to the 24th. So check out the Irish Times programme on the Woodland Stage taking place on Saturday afternoon and do tune in to our The People Have Spoken podcast, which will be about the Yes landslide. This week has been a momentous one, continuing in some momentous times for women in this country with a welcome for the women of the Magdalene Laundries. They came to Dublin, they were in the Auris. There was a wonderful welcome for them up at the Mansion House. And we just wanted to read you some of President Michael D. Higgins' speech that he gave in the Auris when he welcomed those women who have suffered so much and are so worthy of being remembered and being paid tribute to. So here are the words of the President, Michael D. Higgins. This afternoon, Sabine and I are very conscious that we're welcoming a very special group, 230 individual women, each of you who hold a part of the story of the Magdalen Laundries since the foundation of the state, remember, over 11,000 women spent time in the laundries, but their experiences were too often never shared. A combination of stigma, shame, and an unreceptive society condemns so many women to concealing their experiences, their trauma, their hurt. In recent years, the silence has been broken, and you have all helped to let the light in to some very dark corners of Ireland's shared past. You have presented us with what makes a very harrowing and deeply uncomfortable reflection of an Ireland some would prefer not to be able to recognise, but which has to be acknowledged, transacted, and to which a response must be made. All of you and all of the other women who cannot be with us today were failed by these institutions the experience of which you share, and the religious orders who ran them. You were profoundly failed by the state, which in its relationship to these institutions and those who ran them, should have had your welfare at its core. You were failed by governments that knowingly relied on the existence and practices of these institutions, rather than addressing your particular needs in other more sympathetic ways. You were also failed by a society that actively colluded by their silence in your incarceration and treatment, or who chose to look the other way, averted their gaze as vulnerable girls and women were subjected to what was in so many cases further abuse and degradation. 
you were apologized to by Antishik and Kenny in the Dole in what was a very moving speech. But as President of Ireland, I do again want this afternoon to acknowledge the wrong that has been done to you, the pain that has been caused in your lives and the opportunities that have been lost to you as a result of your mistreatment. Today here in Orsanuktron, as President of Ireland, in the home of the President of Ireland, I apologise to you, survivors of the Magdalene regime. Sabine and I also welcome, welcome you above all as inspiring and courageous women of whom we as a country are very proud indeed. For your generosity in sharing your difficult stories has allowed us to engage with the Magdalene Laundry story as an important episode from which hopefully we can draw wisdom, including the knowledge of the great harm that can be done when publics are not vigilant, when publics are crowded to not having the courage to question the status quo, when society fails to address institutional indifference or cruelty wherever it might arise. I pay tribute to all of your resilience. I commend your resolve and your courage in facing your painful past. I pay tribute to you for your decision to share your experiences with each other. As I read of it, it put me in mind of the valuable role of what Professor Michael Carney has called the wounded healer. Professor Carney was founder of the palliative care movement here in Ireland and in the United States, and it has drawn so much attention. The wounded by listening to the wounded become the most powerful of healers. And most of all now, I thank you for helping Ireland and contemporary Irish people address a great wrong. But I sincerely hope that the journey you have been on over recent years will help each of you in making peace with the past. Some of you may have even found it in yourselves to forgive the individuals and the system that you encountered and that you were forced to endure. Forgiveness can play a central and necessary part in healing. And I acknowledge that it's very easy for me to say that. Some us to pay a very high price when they're called upon to forgive, a great heart that cannot be expelled from memory, as it were. Yet the act of moving from such silent wounds to narrated words, as Richard Carney puts it, is a powerful healing journey. And in that journey, too, you are the best judges as to the timing of the movement from narrated words to judges, for example, as to when it was too early or when it might be too late and the consequences of making that choice. Those were the very powerful and I hope for the women healing words of our president, Michael D. Higgins, when all those women gathered in his home in Orison to to hear from him. Uh, We're hoping to have some of those women on the women's podcast at some point in the future. But that speech, I think, speaks about so much of what women in this country have been through. Um, As he mentioned, not just the Magdalene Laundry women, but women in mother and baby homes and indeed just women in the home who have been treated so badly uh, in very different ways just because they were women. And I wanted to bring you that speech for all of those reasons. Now... If you are a traditional or folk music fan, think back to the last gig or festival you were at. How many women were in the lineup? 
the chances are there was probably only one or two to 15 or 20 men. When Waking the Feminists happened, it shone a much-needed light on the underrepresentation of women in Irish theatre. And now women in Irish traditional and folk music have caught the bug, fed up with being the lovely girls of trad. The Fair Play initiative was born in an attempt to address the gender imbalance in Irish music. It all began with a meeting at the Cobblestone Pub in Dublin and two of the women who were there that night, harpist Una Monaghan and singer Pauline Scanlon, came into studio to speak to me. And later you'll hear a beautiful, moving performance of the song My Dearest Dear by Pauline and Una. But we began with a chat and I asked Pauline to tell me what sparked the Fair Play movement. Well, we all know each other. It's a community and it's a very small, tightly knit community, um, I guess, until you're saying something that everybody doesn't like. <laughs> but um, uh, so we had spoken about it backstage and in tour buses uh, when we had occasion to meet each other. And uh, we've had conversations about it for years. And then the Waking the Feminists movement happened and we were just watching from the wings going, oh, my God. And it really gained such traction online. But also, I think the most powerful thing about that was just the person to person conversations that were happening with all of our colleagues, men and women. So it kind of built up and it built up. And like Una and I have known each other for years and we had been on a tour, we were on a tour together um, at the start of the Fair Play movement. And when we had kind of said, right, we've all had enough of this, we have to try and do something about this. So it was... um, it was just really inspiring and it lit a fire under all of us, really. Mm. Tell us about Karen Casey, because that was a pivotal moment too in, Lib- in Liberty Hall with the Armagh Pipers. Yeah, I think one of the things about this movement is that everyone has, has had their own personal experiences of it. And for many of us, it's been bubbling for years. Um, and I think what happened with Karen happened to everyone involved in this. And she just found herself on a stage again. Um, at, I think on that occasion was the only woman. And... And I think she just said enough. And so she spoke out about it. She mentioned it uh, from the stage. And um, at the same time, other people were thinking in the same way. And so I I remember I'd been writing the piece that Pauline and I were working on on this question for the previous couple of months. And so we were actually in Pauline's house rehearsing the piece four days before it was going to be presented when Karen phoned and I remember vividly, I don't think I'll ever remember, forget that phone call because we were there rehearsing it. And for the four months before this, before I contacted Pauline, for me as a composer, it was just I need to take the experiences that I've had that have really angered me, put them into a piece, make that statement in music and then move on. That was going to be my way of just dealing with it. Get it on a stage, make a piece, one piece and then move on because it also... It, it bores me and it exhausts me having to say this all the time. And so I just thought, if I put it in a piece, every time I play that piece, that'll be my wee bit of rage out and we'll move on. And so then I contacted Pauline and of course she had all of the same feelings. And then that was the months before the January and then Karen had her you know, response to it and then called us and then... Once you ask the question or once you speak to another person about it, it just snowballs then. But tell me, you say you'll never forget that phone call. So what was it about that, what she was saying and what what was the conversation you were having together? It was the moment where you realised that this isn't just going to be one piece and then (laughs) it's going to be over because everyone is now speaking about it and the connections are starting to be made. And it was at that point where it went from me working with a singer I really respected to just do a piece of art 
to realising that that singer and another singer and another musician and another sound engineer and we're all going to get together. And once these connections started firing, they weren't going to stop. Okay, and that was the beginning of Fair Play. It feels like that was the beginning for me. Yeah, we then called a load of meetings and we came to Dublin, up to the city. Up to the capital, capital (laughs) we women and gentle gentle women of Fitrad, which we'll talk about later, girl. Anyway, go on. Um, So we came up to Dublin and we had a meeting in the Cobblestone and loads of people came. There was 40 people at the first meeting and loads of amazing musicians and singers that... I've admired my whole life, um, all came together and we were saying, right, we, we've we had enough and what are we going to do about it? And so we kind of came up with a few different plans, I think. Um, I, I think in my mind at the time as well, I thought like, oh, we're going to point this out and everybody will go, oh, great. I'm so glad you pointed that out because now we'll fix it. But it didn't turn out that way. Uh-huh. Surprisingly. <laughs> so there was, surprisingly, there was a little, there has been a little bit of resistance to it. Oh, can't believe it. The men aren't very happy, some of them, no? Some of them, it turns out. Not, and also some of the women are oh, also well, not happy. Not hashtag internalised misogyny. But anyway, moving on from that, go on. Moving on from that. Um, yeah, so we came up with a few strategies and we you know, formed an organisation and called it Fair Play, play being the Irish word for discussion. So That's really... P-L-E father. P-L-E father, yeah. So we just said that we wanted to initiate a discussion with the community because traditional music and folk music in Ireland, as well as being, um, uh, I suppose, a way for the likes of Una and I to make a living, it's also an institution in people's homes. It's it's the fibre of many families' lives and their children go to feshes and they do, you know, and they flack yoles and all that kind of thing. Um, so it's difficult to kind of unpick that. So just tell me, going back to the cobblestone and those 40 people and a lot of women that you admire in, in, the, in the sector and everything, what were the kinds of things that people just really wanted to get off their chests and that had been creating the rage in them all these years? Just unequal opportunity. You know, just going into tour upon tour and band upon band and situation upon situation where you're literally the only woman. And also, like, in that all-male environment, we were talking, Una, now about this last night, about what a standard for good music, I'm using air quotes here, which I don't <laughs> normally do, but um, what that standard, and so there's a standard for this and in a kind of a commercial setting a lot of the time and, and often in a non-commercial setting, it's a load of reels played technically brilliantly, really fast by a load of men. And I suppose the kind of nuances and colours and the kaleidoscope of creativity is also underrepresented. So if you're not that, if you don't fit that standard if that bores you to tears for example if it bores you I, I to tears I wouldn't be listening to that now I'd be more listening to Eleanor McAvoy or something like that you know yeah. and also like as a singer I um, I love listening to women singing about stuff that moves them like it's just the happy place that I am but I go and if I go to an event if I go to a festival there may be one person doing that and we're all lumped into the same category so that's all the girls there who sing lovely pretty songs and then now we get down to the brass tacks of it and that's how I that's how I feel and it's sometimes in our because we know everybody that programs gigs and um we know everybody in, in our genre and in our scene, for want of a better word. So they feel very criticised by my opinion, 
Do you know okay. what I mean? So you have to kind of, I've, I've kind of gone beyond now prettying it up to kind of deliver it, but like, but you're mindful of it. I mean, you're, you're. I suppose you have to be mindful of it because you have to know that your audience is bristling a bit, or that people are feeling a little bit like defensive, or that they are being told they've been doing things wrong, and people don't like to be told that. But at the same time, you know, they need to listen as well. See, I, I'm less about the telling people they're doing things wrong, and more about asking people to consider what this what this uh this stage and I don't mean the literal stage but what the the community looks like and I work in experimental music as well as which is very much rooted in traditional music and so the artworks that I want to put out are they are slightly outside of um straight traditional music and so, so when I was doing that I wanted when I was making the piece I wanted there to be some more than just one voice so I thought this will be stronger if we have if we have evidence that it's not just me complaining about something. Mm -hmm. And so I asked on social media for stories to see if any would come through. And we got about 62 for that first one. Um, And these stories ranged from quite overt, serious um, accusations and um, stories about what had happened to people to really subtle things that if I told them as evidence for this, they could genuinely be taken down as well. That's not because you're a woman, or, and so, it. The, so the, the, we got about sixty-two of those stories, and I'm I'm developing this into a wider research piece because, again, because of the the smallness of the community, we can't really. People are wary of telling their stories. No one wants to um, accuse anyone. They just the main goal here is to say, here is what we're dealing with and can can we fix it so I'm taking themes out of them and I've got about eight odd themes and the 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 really serious ones are at the least common and the very subtle ones are the most common so it ranges from things like just being told I know better all the time <laughs> to like sexual innuendo or comments um prioritizing looks and dress over your musical or professional skill that happens really quite a lot um your work knowingly used without due recognition, that's not that common. But when it does happen, it can be really, really wounding. Um, blatant professional discrimination, that when it's really obvious. Um, but the worst and the most common and the most subtle is the assumption of acceptable behaviour or that you'll be treated differently or that you have to conform to expectations. And I'm thinking a lot about the work of someone called Emma Pittman when I'm thinking about this. which She, she says this isn't about a spectrum. It's not about something really subtle on one end to something really serious on the other, which is the way I'd been thinking about it. She's like, this is about a pyramid. Like, she says misogyny is a human pyramid, and it's the, the, the subtle things on the bottom shore up the serious things on the top. It's not a spectrum, it's a pyramid. And so I would love people to consider the really small things to do. So some of these things, like, there were two stories in particular really struck me about this subtlety. One was a person who played pipes, a woman who played pipes for years, and she she eventually stopped playing them. And she said, you know, whenever I was growing up, my overriding memory, this is her words, of playing the Ellen pipes was that people would say, oh, it's such a big instrument for such a wee girl. Now, that person saying that to her was just an observation. It was just an observation, but she said that, that those comments happened quite a lot, and over time that affected her. So if that makes you feel as though 
it's odd for me to look at you playing those. That's genuinely what that was saying to her. Um, for some people, that won't matter. They'll push on through and they'll be, still be on a stage. For her, it did matter. And the other one which really struck me, I think it was a, in a rural session setting um, where someone was playing music with a load of lads and never had any trouble with that. That was grand. But at the end of the night, the older men in the pub would come over and shake hands with all the lads and then they would look at her and not know what to say so they wouldn't say anything and they'd walk away. Now that, again, wasn't meant as a slight. It was just a consequence of pe- the the way that they acted, I guess, in their normal daily lives, maybe towards mm-hmm. women. You make brilliant points there. I think the pyramid analogy is perfect and it applies across to every kind of workplace and sector, you know, and, and that's the reason we need to care about those slight things. I wanted to ask you both about something else, that, a quote that you guys have from, I think, musician Tara Finn. And she said, the number of times I've been introduced on stage as a lovely girl or a gentle girl when the piece I'm playing may be technically demanding and complex. Tell us about the gentle girl, lovely girl syndrome and how prevalent that is. And I can imagine how infuriating it must be. And how can you counter that? Because can you not... Should people be simply saying, "Don't please don't call me that? I'd appreciate if you didn't. And if you did say that, what's the reaction? Well, if you do say that, or if you did say that, it would be it would be awkward, I guess, because people, when they introduce you like that, the beautiful. And so we see it all the time in, in lineups or in write-ups about music or concerts or performances that we're doing where the man will be described by his instrument or his technical ability and the woman will be described by how she looks. And it's so common. We were both commenting on something that we saw online recently about a friend of ours who's an amazing, amazing musician. And, and she also just, beautiful. She's she there was, the <laughs> because that's more important. To be honest, what it was. Oh my god! Yeah, what, really. It was some like ephemeral or yeah, one of those kind of, things. So she yeah. was she wasn't actually even human. She was ethereal and she, she was, was a goddess, a goddess yeah. as well. Yeah. And so it didn't really matter if she could play that much. No. Yeah. And so that is infuriating. And, you know, like the one that you had was the tallest or the longest legs. What was that thing? What? It was a trio on stage and the the two guys were introduced by the instrument they played. Um, And isn't this the tallest, sexiest woman you've ever seen? Literally did not refer to her her instrument or why she was on that stage. Where was this? And I remember at that point I was engineering that concert and... That was it. This was a good few years ago, but it, and it was before. But I just grabbed my own mic and I, I from the desk, and I said, "She also plays the fiddle." Did you? <laughs> she also plays the fucking fiddle. Did you say that? That is brilliant. You need to get a t-shirt with that for your fair play. <laughs> yeah. I also play the fucking fiddle or whatever for the fucking harp or whatever else it is. Yeah, just so you can hear. See, I'm in the mood for cursing today. Yeah. No, it's allowed. <laughs> no, it's allowed. We don't have restrictions. We try. We try to use it, um, you know, judiciously, and not gratuitously, which I just did there. But anyway, go on. No, go on. That was you. Actually, got were so incensed, and it's interesting. Because we didn't hear. I mean, that I was don't a few years. You don't think anyone heard. heard? The people beside me heard, but no. The sound okay, but your mic doesn't scream normally. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yes, the sound person usually stays quite quiet. Um, yeah, um, but that's really interesting. And you see, I think that's where I feel like I'm you know, raising two daughters myself. Like, I think it, it's about speaking up at these things. I mean, when I was younger, when, when things would happen, I, I would say things. And you do. It's the thing of being a killjoy, isn't it? And looking ungracious or ungrateful for, for a lovely compliment that someone's paid you. But we just can't, we can't afford to do that because each time we let it happen, 
um, it sort of diminishes us and we're kind of complicit, even though I can understand all the reasons why you shouldn't. Yeah, totally. And Have you ever said anything like, you know, Una's lovely comment there? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> well, what kind of things have happened to you? Well, I've, I've, like, I've fought with people in bands that I've been in over stuff that they've said. And like, you have to remember, like, I'm also well able to sit into a van with a load of lads and hold my ground and I'm not overly sensitive about things and I like to party and all those things, you know. Um, But sometimes you can be in situations and just hear uh, comments and uh, just sexist remarks and opinions about women and about women in music that just really grate on you. And as you say, like when you point it out, it's a kind of a killjoy moment and then it, it automatically the spotlight is on you and you then not only have to take responsibility for the sexist comment or behaviour, but you also have to take responsibility for killing the crack. <laughs> so it's like it's you have to kind of weigh it up sometimes in, in light of getting a job done and getting to the end but of the But maybe gig. if more of us were killing the crack and being yeah. the killjoy, then it wouldn't be, you know, it, then maybe people would have to see. It's, I think the problem is when you're the only person saying it or and, no, and other, other women don't necessarily back you up or something. That's where this be. coalition kind of comes into Because when we put up our stuff, we started our Facebook and our website and all that. And when, when the conversation started online, it's interesting because it's easy to pull somebody up if they say something really out of line and sex. But but if it's that other more subtle stuff where they're commenting on your looks, but they think it's that they're, you know, that it's some kind of, you know, laud. Then I started to see stuff on social media like I've been playing traditional music all my life and always been treated like a princess. Which is the problem. That's exactly you know, what we And using that as a good thing. Yeah, yeah. it's so interesting. Like, it's, it's hard to kind of come around that. and Because and, you see, I suppose people are, you know, in it and they feel like this is the way it is and they haven't, they don't feel they've been harmed by it and it, they don't necessarily see what you guys are pointing out and the repercussions that it has for everybody. But they would also like to deny us our right to point it out about our own yeah. lives, which is something that I struggle with personally yeah. a bit because we're there's a lot of us in it and we've had a lot of conversations with women who've really struggled with it. And so then when you point that out, there's a lot of things that people can say, you're just bitter because you're not more successful. It's a meritocracy. The cream rises to the top. I'm, I'm a woman and look at me, I'm at the top. And so so it's... It's diff- there's a lot of things that you're not selling tickets. Oh, it's all very well to say you want 50-50 gender balance, but at the end of the day, we want bums on seats. It's so there's a lot of counter arguments that you really have to take a deep breath and kind of say, but this is my experience and I'm not saying, it's, I'm not apologising for it. Yeah, well, We're I- not apologising for it. And we, we really must work together on this because if you're already the only woman in the van or or like I've had said to me oh we've never toured with a woman before we didn't know how it would be and you know if you're already in that situation where you're trying to um, prove your position then to deal with those uh, comebacks on on small subtle comments can just sometimes take too much energy I can completely understand that I mean it's all very well for me saying that I totally know that when you're in those situations it is about picking your battles all all the time can we talk about um, 
younger people. So, so you know, so many, and it's wonderful to see, and it seems to be a very vibrant, growing, even growing area where, because a lot of parents are really seeing the value of sending their kids to learn traditional instruments and all that kind of thing. So you've got all these girls and boys all over the country learning instruments. First of all, I'd like to know about, uh, is there a gender thing there? Is there an idea that, you know, going back to what you said about the pipes and that, that the comment that kept being said to that woman, is there instruments that girls are expected to play and boys expected to play? And then, what happens as the these great young musicians get older? Why don't so many young women go into the profession that versus young men who clearly dominate? So why is that happening? So there's two things. The gendered instrument thing first, I suppose. The gendered instrument thing, I don't think that there's instruments they're supposed to play. And I think it's also getting a lot more even. So, uh, what I mean, women played concertinas a, a, historically a lot of the time. Um, and we didn't really understand. I guess it was because it was a small instrument, and it could be played in the home. Was was historically what I was told. Um, I think it's a lot more even now. Um, there's also drives like there's initiatives like the Pipers Club in Dublin, like because mm-hmm. pipes would be a, you know a male thing, a male thing. But they, in fairness to them, like there's there's drives and there's initiatives, and they're really trying to encourage more young uh, girls to pick up the pipes. And but start I'm just playing. wondering Similarly why, the, why the, the Ellen pipes wouldn't have been something that tr- women would also just as easily pick up. What, what's what's the thing there? I'm not really like if, I'm not really sure, but I think historically with pipes, um, a lot of the people playing them. We're traveling with them also. And as Una said, like we've come, like the, fun, the, fun, the thing about it is that we have come, like 40 years ago, women um, got married and could keep their jobs. And prior to that, women and traditional music was very much in the home. So in this really, in the modern era, in this really short space of time, it's come from this thing that was played in the home to now being almost a viable career opportunity. <laughs> but in like the... I suppose the working conditions and all of that hasn't come in line with it. So it's it's come a long way, but everything else that surrounds it needs to come into line with it, I guess. Is. And I wonder about the question of gendered instruments and the harp. Um, the harp, there's a lot more guys playing it now, but when I was starting out, it was overwhelmingly women. Yeah, I have to say, and if I, I visualise the harp, I don't think of a man playing it. Mm. Yeah. And I wonder whether the harp, there were very few people playing the harp um, in the 70s and 80s, very few. You could almost name everyone in Ireland at that point. And an amazing harp revival um, was started by, uh, well, loads of people, Marnie Cassie, Janet Harbison. They they really, um, they revived the instrument. And I wonder whether, is that why lots of women played it? Because it, it wasn't something that was being played by men and we joined in and took it was something that was being played by no one and okay. did that make it easier yeah yeah to play other instruments instrument? that nobody's playing and maybe get dominate <laughs> that as well and then the second question what happens to young girls so why is it that more men are ending up in in the actual professional uh, traditional music area I think the reason that some people, because our, I guess the, the phrase that we use is gender balance, that we're looking for gender balance in traditional Irish and folk music. And so at a young age and in the schools and in, you know, there are some people even say like anecdotal evidence would point that there are actually more girls learning um, instruments. So the participation at that age is equal. And then when you go into your late teens, also equal and into the sessions and even when people are in college and depending on where you are, like some 
other sessions aren't balanced. But if you're in the bubble and you're looking around you and there's loads of girls playing and there's loads of boys playing and it's all great, it's still, still if you go to the gig that night or if you go to the festival that weekend, the public face of it where people are making a living from it is overwhelmingly male. Mm. It just is. Um, so I think if you are that girl who's full of promise and you really love it and you also have a creative soul and spirit and you have a point that you want to make and you have things that you want to say and music that you want to hear yourself play if at 16 14 15 16 you don't see anybody like whatever about singers there's lots of singers I always had singers that I looked up to but instrumentalists like female led big names for want of a better term um, within so the So Sharon genre. Shannon would be the one you'd think of. Is so there Sharon any? Shannon, there's Liz Carroll. There are amazing, nobody is doubting that there are amazing women. And, you know, there's the Kane sisters and we're, our organisation is full of them. But it, it, on that level to get to the next place, playing an instrumental, mm. you know, playing an accordion or a fiddle, I, I it's think, just way less. I think Una. people get tired like they get tired of of the small things and they don't even notice that that has maybe happened if you're playing in the sessions and 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 you're dealing with these tiny things that aren't even based around traditional music that are societal at the bottom of this pyramid um if that keeps chipping it can be hard to to keep fighting against what it takes to to make the career can we talk about some positive things then, like what you're doing and some positive responses you've had and maybe about Saturday, which I know is a big day for you with loads of events happening around the country as well. So we have Karen Casey, our fearless leader. <laughs> um, she really is a fantastic woman. Um, she had this idea that we would have a day um, and we would all would just have events all over wherever there's anybody has any interest in traditional music, which is practically every corner of the world now and that we would have a day highlighting the issue and just of just talking to people about it. And also the thing about Fair Play is we are, we would, we seek to be and we would like to be a platform for women to stand on and to encourage each other and to give each other kind of sustenance to it. Because it is tough, like there, it really is tough. And to, you know, so this platform for people and to shine a light on female creativity, because in order to balance it, it does need to be elevated to a point of of equality. And then we can look at really balancing it. But it does need a, a light shone on it, I feel. So that was the, the point of it. And we have loads of really exciting things going on and they're all on our website. But here in Dublin, like we'll be in the mansion house at one o'clock and there's great people showing up for that Um um, where Nicole Eve will be there and Sheila Denver and Donal Lunny and uh, there's great and Sabina Higgins is going to go down Brilliant. there we and have had great support so you have good male advocates as well is there people Absolutely. that you would name who say we totally get this we're going to try and help you who would they be obviously Donald's coming along to yeah like we did this social media campaign at the start when we started talking to people about you know would you like to see more of us kind of <laughs> being the question and so loads of people did that I mean we saw that on the Waking the Feminist website um, where people just held the sign and said yes I, I, you know I would like to see um, more women in the industry and by the industry like Una's a sound engineer like she'll have some fairly hair raising stories about <laughs> our experiences that but we need like people festival bookers and managers and all those people to be female to understand what it is to be female in this space as well and the social media campaign and the support from everyone it has been brilliant but it has not been without its difficulties as well and we've had 
men who hold up fair play signs and who genuinely do want to support the movement. But we've also had women who see some of those particular men and say, that is not my experience of that person. That person has actually done X, Y and Z and made this very difficult for me. And there, that is really subtle. That's a really, it's a really um, difficult question to get around where you have people actively supporting the campaign but not actually realising what it means to support the campaign, not actually questioning how their really subtle language might affect people, how their attitude, what they say, what what they do, who gets what their What do you gigs. do in that situation? I mean, because I suppose that person is coming from probably a good place, if an unconscious place, and doesn't realise that the a very behaviour they've been doing is part of the problem and thinks, I'll get on board with this, this sounds great, but hasn't reflected deeply enough on it to see that they might be part of the problem. And they mean it, mm. which is great, and yeah. it's great to have the support. We had to do two things. We had to listen to the person who was making this point that they had suffered under that, made sure they were heard, mm. but also that they understand that we cannot do this without the support of men. And that then through just generally having this conversation, at every point pointing out the subtle things, it will get better. Okay. And the thing about a pyramid is that you're thinking, well, it's just subtle at the bottom, but that's also empowering. It does mean that you can change the tiny things and the top stuff will fall. Okay. Uh, it's been really interesting talking to you, I have to say, and I think it's it's just wonderful that that ripple effect that Waking the Feminists had yeah. on mm. so many sectors. And and I love what you said there, um, uh, Pauline, about the sustenance and just having that community of women, creative women coming together, supporting each other and, you know, elevating everybody. It can only be good. A rising tide rises all ships. Well, yeah. exactly. And listen, we're delighted that you um, are going to sing a song for us. So just before you go, tell us about this song and why you chose it and what it means to you? Well, I'll start crying now. <laughs> I'm a crier when I say yeah, this. Um, so am I, so we'll cry together. We'll have, we'll have a good old ball here now. Um, I uh, was raised by um, a staunch feminist. My mother was, uh, she was an incredible woman, but she suffered a lot from the institutions, I guess, in Ireland. She had a tough time. And uh, she passed away five years ago. And uh, when she, oh, I was th- I was saying to Una, I must think of something really relevant because this podcast, I listen to it all the time oh. and it means the world to me. Like, because oh, it is great. also a place where I get sustenance. Yeah. And uh, I, she passed away and I was about two days before I was about to go on a really long tour in Australia. And so I had to cut the tour short. And then I went out and I was on this tour called Celtic Divas, of all things. <laughs> and um, you so I was just going, be a, a woman. Yeah. Well, yeah, Celtic, Celtic woman, though, yeah, Celtic God. Diva. Go on, so goddess. I was going out ephemeral to, Celtic goddess. Ephemeral <laughs> Celtic goddess. So I was going out to this gang of women, basically really close pals of mine out in Australia. And um, I uh, had just recorded the song and it was the last song that she had heard me sing and so I had to go out then and do it on the tour and it was just really it was an amazing way of kind of connecting with her so in the in light of where we started with this whole um, movement like when Fair Play came together we were just at the back end of uh, the rape trial in Belfast and we had the referendum on the other end and we were doing this and examining our lives and our chosen professions and our friendships and our relationships with everybody around us framed bookended by these two things and it, for the I felt like I feel now that able to sing the song again because I feel like we've just come over the brow of the hill and we're freewheeling down you know nice. um, and so it's called I, it's called My Dearest Dear 
My dearest dear. Well, listen, thank you both very much for coming in. Pauline Scallon, Una Monaghan. And here they both are. It's Una on the harp and Pauline on lovely girl, gentle vocals. I'm only joking. <laughs> on the most amazing, because I heard you sing, your voice is stunning and really appreciate you coming in and telling us all about it. And the best of luck on Saturday with all your events. The website is? Uh, fairplay.com, F-A-I-R-P-L-E. Okay, so Love here's it. Una and Pauline singing My Dearest Dear. Dear, the time has come when you and I must part, and no one knows the inner grief of my breaking heart or what I suffer. Oh,
And that's it for today. Thanks to Pauline Scanlon on vocals there and Una Monaghan on the harp. And a reminder that this Saturday, June 9th, Law Namon, there are fair play events taking place all around the world, including at the Mansion House in Dublin, where Sabina Higgins will be a guest. And there's also a big day of action, June 16th, at the Cork Midsummer Festival. And you can find all the listings and information on www.fairplay.com. Remember that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can always find us on irishtimes.com. If you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or you can email us the women's podcast at irishtimes.com. We do enjoy a bit of praise as well. So if you like what we do, head to iTunes and give us a review and tell all your friends about it. Today's podcast was produced by myself, Roisin Ingle and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. I'm Roisin Ingle, and until next time, thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.